It is two minutes to the hour five here on Radio Veritas, changing gear with Father Tabo. And as we're changing gear now, we look, we will, we will be talking to Father Peter John Pearson, the director of the Catholic Parliamentary Liaison Office, all the way from Cape Town. Uh, we have him here, we'll have him live on, on the line. Good afternoon, Father Peter. Good afternoon to you, Father. And, um, I hope it's a little warmer in Johannesburg than it is in Cape Town at no, the moment. No, we, we, we thank you for the cold front. <laughs> you you know you have you what? are very very neighborly. You sharing sharing is caring. So we thank you. We need that. We need we need a bit of, of cold in Gauteng. <laughs> we need a bit of rain in Cape Town. So <laughs> don't worry. We'll, sh- we'll bring you rain. We'll share. Good. We'll, we'll send the showers down that way. Good. Indeed, Good. indeed. Um, Father PJ. Yes. Um, the Parliamentary Liaison Office. What is it? What is it? What is its purpose? Before we uh, go into purpose, the other matters. Its purpose is really to engage Parliament in the process of developing policy and of um, engaging the legislation as it goes through its various phases in Parliament so that the voice of the Church can be heard in the process. Um, There are many voices that feed into Parliament, the political parties, trade unions, um, Chamber of Commerce, Chamber of Mind, uh, many different voices, different um, civil society organizations. So, it's the belief that in a democracy, mm. law should be made with the conscious participation of the people who are governed by it. So the church is just one voice, but it's a voice that needs to be heard because it has a wisdom, it has a clarity of analysis, it has um, it resources, local wisdom, and it brings all of this to the um, debating parliament. So... The Catholic Parliamentary Office is there to make sure that that happens, that a Catholic voice is heard amongst the many voices, because um, clearly we don't always get our way. We mm-hmm. know that from the abortion debates and other debates, yes. but at least it doesn't happen without us being a voice of conscience there. A voice so of... it's ready to participate in the policy making. Ah, and I mean, as a voice of conscience, which is something very interesting, we are living in very interesting times in the country, as you would be aware. Um, A lot of uncertainty that we find ourselves in as a nation, uh, more especially on the political front. Um, We are, as the common uh, uh, word is being used, we are a captured nation. Um, yes, and yes. captured as we are as a nation by a specific group of, of, of a family or individuals compromising that what we all struggled for, uh, a, a democratic South Africa, w- which advances the dignity and the rights of all South Africans. Now, as the Catholic uh, Parliamentary Liaison Office and the voice, the moral voice of, of not only of Catholics, but also of, of the society, how do we? How did we get here, actually? Well, I think, <laughs> I mean, I think there are many things um, that there's no one single answer to that. Yes. I think um, one of the problems is that um, 
we've grown lax in our vigilance as mm-hmm. civil society, which the church is part. Mm-hmm. We've grown lax in our vigilance. We trusted that the people who we knew in the struggle would automatically do good by us in terms mm. of um, moral law, in terms of a non-corrupt society, um, in terms of good governance and transparency and accountability, and all those virtues that we associate with a democratic space. So I think we've been, we've been, um, we've not been vigilant enough. We've maybe been too tolerant at times where, mm. by making excuses when we should have come out stronger. Uh, I think that's one aspect. I think we've also yes. gotten there because um, the whole world of corruption is a um, is is one that's multifaceted. Somebody is corrupt, but somebody has to corrupt the, the person who's corrupt. Indeed. So it's um, also the voices outside of um, our politicians, um, the voices in the arms deal, the voices mm. of big business, the voices in other. Um, in, in other um, corporates that have been enticing people as well. So, you know, it's it's been um, a question of not being on our guard against those voices. And if you come without um, any preparation for this, as many of our politicians came, then these older voices, many of them from other countries, from first world countries, um, they, they, they just enticed us and we got into a maelstrom which we um, which we didn't know how to react. And then I think there's also the question of we've inherited, you know, mm. in this country we inherited a whole lot of Bantustans yes. which were inherently corrupt and which in order to hold it together, mm-hmm. um, there was a system of patronage. And in order to absorb these Bantustans, I think willy-nilly, mm. whether consciously or not, we kept some of those practices to keep them together, to mm. hold to hold this um, very complex, divided entities into some kind of unity. But the um, end, um, the means, um, um, became the means to more of the same and not as a turning point for something different. I think we got there through a whole lot of different ways, but it speaks to the need for us mm. as a country to be, to be more participatory and to be more vigilant so and that it doesn't happen again. Would one say then, given the fact that our non-vigilance, we resigned ourselves also to trust too much on the Chapter 9 institutions, uh, like the public protect, and so people ran to the... Then they more or less uh, became our own voice? Yeah, look, I think the Chapter 9 institutions are critical. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are critical. They were envisaged as safeguards to the, um, for the democracy. And mm. I think the fact that people ran to her um, was a sign that they were becoming aware of um, what was wrong and that they would use the Chapter 9 institutions, which some are better than others, we have yes. to say, but we would use them optimally to do what they were meant to do, and that is to look out for the democratic decline yes. and to correct it. And no, um, but so I'm not unhappy mm. that people use um, the the institutions if it's going to mean that they're going to be able to find a way of reversing 
this democratic deficit that we find ourselves in. I'm not against it at no. all. And, I mean, do, have not you also more or less, uh, uh, as you've already alluded earlier on, that we have trusted enough ourselves on a political individual or a political party or those who more or less with, uh, are seen as being liberators of the country, haven't we allowed ourselves in the process to forget that as citizens, we each have a role to play? Um, number one, we are able to vote, and in voting, we should be able to vote people out? Yeah. No, look, I think this is the whole point that we're rediscovering. I mean, it would, and it is true that we are a captured nation, a captured country, captured institutions, captured mm. um, uh, parastatals. All of that is true at the cost of billions of rand to exactly. the poor, at, at the cost of our own conscience. But if that is true, and it is, one of the good things that has happened, I think, is that we've woken up. Yes. Uh, there's never been such an upsurge of um, of disappointment. There's never been such public expression of that disappointment and that um, that 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 um, breaking trust um, as there is now. And all over the country, people are working um, to strengthen civil society. Um, the office I work in is saying we will keep vigilant. In Parliament, we will share our information with others. We will um, engage processes so that um, that they aren't short-circuited by mm. um, expedience and by vested interest. People are saying that. Um, people are beginning to use the power of the vote. We yes. saw that the local elections mm-hmm. um, last year, where there was a real kind of realignment of interest, where Groups are saying, no, 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 in this place, we have a say. And, of course, at the level of local government, that say is very direct. Um, yes. so, so I think we are seeing an upsurge, and we need to um, support that, because that's what democracy is. It supports people participating in different ways, on different fora, um, in order to ensure that they um, achieve the best life that they can in the circumstances, and so I'm I'm very um, positive about what these very bad circumstances have actually opened up to us. Um, we, you know, I'm not for a moment saying, as I said before, that Jeez. the bad is good, or but I think it would be far worse if we didn't allow it to give us a wake-up call, and I do see signs of that. Even in Parliament, yes. um, I see a robustness. Even in the ruling party, mm-hmm. a um, the, you know different points of view coming across. Yes. Dr. Causa says exactly. something that um, other MPs say. No, she's out of line. She says no. This mm. is what we are. Mm. A former president, Makante, um, yes. says no. You should be able to vote um, in the um, vote of no confidence according to so your conscience, conscience because yes. you. Um, sworn to uphold the Constitution mm-hmm. and what is happening in our country is destructive of the values of the country. So we're seeing a vibrant discussion. Yes, but For talking... all of the horrible things that we're seeing, we're seeing a very vibrant discussion. 
But talking on on the very matter which you just brought up of, about uh, 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 the member of parliament, uh, the honourable Makosi um, Koza, and the others who have spoken out, they are, now they are being told that they are not towing the party line. There's a need for discipline, and may I, I don't I hope hopefully I'm putting you on the spot here. Um, with regard to discipline within uh, the ruling party, is discipline only applying to those who, who voice an op- a voice that is different to the majority of those who are supporting the status quo to say a vote of no confidence in terms of conscience and those who are, su- who are saying no to the vote of, vote of, of no confidence, it, uh, it, it shouldn't happen. And how do you discipline the president? Because, I mean, we, we've had marches at the beginning, at the beginning of the uh, better half of this year to say the president has to step down and nothing has happened. The man has been in power for so long with a lot of alle- uh, charges, uh, allegations of, corruptions ag- of corruption against him and evidence which is probably most credible and he's still in office. How do we yeah. apply this discipline? Well, I mean, I think that that's a very interesting question. I think at the, the micro level, of course, parties, all the parties in Parliament, there's not one that doesn't have a, um, an, a three-whipped arrangement where yes. on critical issues the party um, has to um, toe the line because mm. you came into Parliament um, on that um, party's ticket and by that party's grace and favour. So mm. there is that. But I think this is the point that we need to raise. We know it from our own Christian theology yes. and we know it well from um, our own tradition in the Catholic Church yes. that in particular moments it is, there is a call for a prophetic voice. Indeed. There's a call for somebody to step out of line and say, we know, we know that, but we think the greater good is served by raising a different set of questions, mm. by considering a different set of um, propositions, by um, re- re-articulating the question differently. And I think that's what is happening um, in a small way um, where they're saying, well, the, we accept that there is a discipline in the party. The DA would accept it, COPE yes. would accept it, the EFF would accept it, the ACDP would accept it. But in this moment in our history, prophetically, yes. we are called to a higher order um, moral obligation. No. And I think that is um, the awkward, um, it's not awkward from our point of view, but that in terms of parliamentary world is the situation um, that they're grappling with. Um, and, you know, obedience, yes, there is a letter of the law that uh-huh. needs to be obeyed in normal circumstances, but are we in a Kairos moment where yes. um, we are called to a higher order moral obligation? I think that's a difficult question. No, in all of that, uh, remember there were death, there are moral uh, death threats against Makosikos and others who speak out. Tell me, in line with what the, the South African Council of Churches uh, uh, unbending, um, 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 um I forgot the title of it, is unbending, um, that yeah. are we a mafia, are we in a mafia state? Are we in, sorry, I A mafia that? state. The mafia are we, was, I, I'm missing, it, it just broke up for a moment. Ah, are we a mafia state? Are we a master state? Yes. Um, look, I would put it this way, because there are 
parts of the state that function very well. Uh-huh. There are parts of the state that are not captured. There are parts of the state that um, are, are credible. So I would say I'm not sure if we are a mafia state, mm-hmm. but we are a state that has many, too many examples mm. of mafia characteristics. Ah. You know, it's in the saying, are we a corrupt nation? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But we have an overabundance, a dangerous overabundance of corruption and of creeping corruption, galloping corruption. Now, um, so I think my um, I, I I hear exactly what the um, South African Council of Churches were saying, and I think it's important to put it out there so that people know the nature of the beast, mm, whether yes. the beast is conflatable with the whole country, I don't know. But I think it's important to say those things, again, much in the prophetic line. To say, you know, we're not dealing with an ordinary nation. We're not dealing with what we were in 1999 or 1994. Um, We're dealing with something that has um, moved out of control, and this is the name of the beast. But whether the beast is the whole of the country, I think we can leave that up to our listeners to make an astute um, uh, judgment on. Has the ANC lost the moral standing in our society? Because they are the governing party. I think so. I think they have. I think they have. Um, Again, we we know from um, second-hand conversations Hmm. um, that we that there's a growing discontent in that group. Um, That there have been, with each new NEC meeting, um, less of a grip on the NEC. Um, and, um, but it still, it still has lost the plot. And therefore, it's interesting that the um, stalwarts, um, who are the real custodians Indeed. of much of the value of the ruling party, yes. have called, many of them have also called, not only for the stepping down of um, the president, but of the NEC. But they are not so, listened to. No, no, they're not listened to. But, you know, we know that sometimes the moral voice isn't listened to. <laughs> it would be much worse. If we know this from church. Indeed. So we, we look at our <laughs> youth some laughing. and we say, why aren't you listening to the moral voice? But we know that if it wasn't there, it could be worse. Can, can we? So I think it's the same in the political domain. Indeed. Now, I mean, is looking at elections, 2019 is coming. Uh, obviously, the electoral system won't change in 2019. Is it is it possible for us? As a, is it time now that the electoral system changes, where, where whereby we we look at a, a system whereby we vote for a president, you vote for an MP, you vote for a premier, and a member of the of the provincial legislature. In as much as we are able to vote for a mayor and a councillor, can't we move that direction so that we hold some someone becomes an accountable to the the constituency that? that elected him or her than to be accountable to the party itself. Yes, of course, they'll be accountable to the party whether we like it or not. But at the same time, they have to come back to the... Someone has to be scared to lose the vote from his or her own constituency. Look, I mean, I think I'm um, partially in agreement with that. Yes. Um, I'm in agreement with a hybrid system of the two. Because Mm -hmm. I think if we don't have proportional representation, it's very clear to me Mm -hmm. that the smaller parties who present very valuable viewpoints, 
who speak for hundreds of thousands of people, mm-hmm. otherwise they wouldn't be there, their voice would just be obliterated. I think mm-hmm. it is pretty sure that the smaller parties would be erased mm-hmm. on a um, on a system that is purely um, first-past-the-post, a winner-takes-all system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, and, and those voices, I don't think that serves democracy well, especially yes. in a society such as ours, ours where mm-hmm. there's a long history and a legacy of racism and division and a, a, a history of exclusion. I don't think we can afford to go that way. I think we need a hybrid of the two, such as Germany has, yes. where you have some, um, depending on the percentage, some MPs come on the um, proportional representation, and you have bigger constituencies where there's a direct vote. And that combination, I think, would be um, best serve um, the needs we have. So I'm, I'm for a, a hybrid system. Now, come 2019, do you foresee a country, South Africa, having a government of national unity, unity made up of a coalition of parties, or do we still see the NC limping as a party in government in 2019? I'll ask. I'll answer you that in December. In December, um, after the <laughs> after the uh, uh, conference, because I think a lot is going to depend on who comes out in the conference. And well, this is not sure. Um, I mean, it's not sure. I think increasingly people are saying it's between two people, but you know, it's about seven people now other, who've thrown their ha- their, their names in the hat within the ANC. So, seven of them. To say that again? I say there are seven names now in the head uh, yes, for the president yes. of the ANC. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's probably going to be um, between two people. I think it's probably going to be... Look, I could be wrong. Yes. There's a lot of water that still has to flow, Indeed. and there's a lot of um, um, positioning, and there's a lot of off-trading um, um, in, amongst regions and amongst various... Um, 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 groupings within the ruling party. So I, I think we, 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 we not settled enough to know, but most people think that it will be somewhere between, um, Dr. Glamini Zuma and, um, and Cyril Ramaphosa. Um, and I think with that will come a whole lot of, um, different, um, possibilities electorally. Um, and so I, I, I am, uh, I don't want to put my my head on the block yet. But yes. I'll have that question. I'll have this discussion with you. I promise. Um, at the end of the year, Father Peter John Pearson, Director of the Catholic Parliamentary Liaison Office. Thank you ever so much, and looking forward to chatting to you in December when we probably will be looking forward to a government of national unity come 2019. <laughs> Look, I hope we chat before that because this is going to be a most interesting six months in five months that lie ahead. And then next year is going to be a busy year um, in terms of how we analyze and understand and where we use the leverage of the wisdom of faith. Um, So I hope we talk before December and many times after that. Indeed. Looking forward to seeing Cape Town pretty soon. I'm coming down that side, as you know. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm always. (laughs) Thank you, Father Peter John. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. God bless you. Thank you.